0: Let's ask ask God to bless our time this morning and have His will through His Word be manifested to us. Let's pray. Father, help us this morning as we see Your Word fresh once again. Lord, speak through Your Word. Have Your Holy Spirit encourage us and teach us. Sanctify us. I pray that Some decisions would be made as a result of this sermon and this text. Decisions that would lead to godliness in our lives. Decisions that would leave the things of life that are so easily besetting us. Father, that we may run with patience the race that is set before us. Help us, God, to obey you. And now as we open up your word once again. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we began the book of Daniel. We saw that the nation of Judah, which is what the Israel is called at this time, because they were divided into two countries, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom at this time is no more. They've already faced God's judgment by the Assyrians. And as we began the book of Daniel, Daniel's country, Judah, the southern part of Israel, is also facing God's judgment. After years of not repenting, God has sent an enemy king called Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to be his instrument of wrath against Judah. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, comes in and besieges Jerusalem in the year 605 BC. And he captures many of the Jewish people there and as a result of their revolt, takes some of them back to Babylon so that he can have some leverage against them. And once they get to Babylon, he tells one of his key men, Ashpenaz, to select the best of the best of these new Jewish captives. Give me the best of the best. Give me some from the royal family. Give me some of the nobility, ranking high society of Israel. And also bring me some young people. And Daniel is one of those young people that were brought in before Nebuchadnezzar. Apparently he was good-looking, because that's one of the requirements. Good-looking and skillful, smart, and able to have a presence about him to stand before the king of Babylon. And the whole purpose of that was to re-educate. They had already relocated these Jewish captives, but now the relocation was done. now they're re-educating them re-educating them into being Babylonians. Of course, Daniel is a Jew. He's one of God's people. He loves the Lord. He's not a Babylonian. But yet, living in Babylon as an exile is something that he needs to display now of his faith in God. Will he trust the Lord? Will he obey God? Will he stand for what's right? We will see. Of course, many did not. And this re-education process of Daniel and the other Jewish captives would be that they would have to learn the language. They would have to speak Chaldean, which was the language of the Babylonians. They would have to dress like a Babylonian, read Babylonian books, and now eat Babylonian food. And little by little, they're chiseling away every last ounce of Jewishness that these boys had. They didn't want them to be Jewish. And if Nebuchadnezzar can take the best of the best of the Jews and bring them to Babylon and display them as trophies before the people and turn them into Babylonians, that looks even better for him. And so we said last week that Daniel and his friends would have to make a decision. And this is one of the themes of Daniel's, how to live as an exile. In enemy territory, serve the Lord and obey God. How do you live as an exile far from home and stay faithful to God? One of those things that they had to make a decision on was coming right before them because their diet would be unlike anyone else in the country. Because the king wanted them to be a trophy, so to say, to the rest of the country, they were given the best diet to eat. They were fed from the king's menu. They were not going to eat scraps. They were going to be healthy. And their food was going to display that. Look at verse 8 of Daniel chapter 1. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. The first step in becoming a faithful exile and obey God is first and foremost to decide that you will obey God. To decide that when troubling times are going to come, when temptations will come, you know what's right and what's wrong, and you're making a decision now to do what's right. This is what the word resolved means. It literally means in the Hebrew to set your heart upon or to make up your mind. He made up his mind to what? Not defile himself. He knew that to eat the king's food would further defile himself. Now, there are some things he has no control over. His name has already changed. He changed his name from Daniel to Belteshazzar. His name means God is my judge. And now he changed... They change his name to some Babylonian God. They're going to call him what they're going to call him. He has, no, he has no say in that. His curriculum is already set. He's not going to win that argument. He couldn't help what they're going to teach him and the books they're going to learn. But Daniel's going to know that he knows his God. He knows his God's word. And so fine, you could teach me all you want, but I'm going to be set in my ways. But the one thing I do ask is that I'm not going to eat your food maybe one thing that he trusts God for in having him not go further down the line of becoming a Babylonian. And he does this because he does not want to defile himself, which that word means to pollute or make yourself unclean. Essentially what, David, what Daniel is doing here is making a choice not to sin. He's making a choice, a decision, a resolvement. This is what new year's resolutions are supposed to be about. How many of you still have them 8 days into the year? One of the words in the the root of the word resolution is resolve. You would be resolved to do these things over the next year. I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to get out of debt, I'm going to whatever spiritual improvement you need to make in your life. I'm resolved, I'm determined. But the reason why resolutions often fail is because we're not very resolved, are we? As soon as it gets tough, we give up and we walk away. But at the heart, that's not really a resolution. And by the way, if you want to know more about resolutions, this Wednesday, an episode of The Gospel Forum is coming out that we recorded this week, which is a podcast I have with other local pastors on how to make New Year's resolutions in a biblical way. So stay tuned for that. So he's making a resolution not to sin or pollute oneself with Babylon. So he's giving this food. And he doesn't want to eat the king's food. And there's probably a a lot of things that could be said here. He does not want to eat the king's meat. And he does not want to drink the king's wine. Now, it is very possible and probably the easiest interpretation that we could find here is that the reason he's not going to eat the king's meat is because it wasn't kosher. Meaning, food approved according to God's law. As you know, God forbid the Jewish people from eating pork and shellfish and things like that. The food in Babylon was definitely not going to be kosher in alignment with the law of Moses. And so, obviously, that's the most common interpretation that you can get to. And and it's not wrong. I mean, I'm sure, even though we're not told that it's the reason Daniel makes this resolution, it's probably correct, but I think there's more to it than that. First of all, the foods eaten in the Babylonian court of the king's court would would have been, no doubt, pork and horse. That's what the Babylonians ate. And of course, this would have been unclean according to the law of Moses. You could look at Leviticus 11, Deuteronomy 14, Leviticus 17 for more information there but also he doesn't want to drink the wine now there's commandments for food being kosher a certain way but there's no Jewish commandment to not drink wine so you see it can't just be because of the law of God and of kosher because there's no law forbidding wine So what we have to conclude, I think, is more than just being the kosher aspect. is is where and why and the purpose of this food and wine is for. And what was the purpose of the king's meat and the king's wine? It was used in the worship of Babylonian gods. You see, the re-education program that they're trying to get these boys into being is to lose their Jewishness and to serve the gods of Babylon. How you serve the gods of Babylon is you partake in the feast of Babylon, eating the food. So, yes, there's a kosher aspect of it there, but it's more than that. I think it has everything to do that Daniel is drawing a line in the sand. I am not going to cave in this aspect. I'm making a decision now that I am not going to serve your God. You could tell me to read some books. You could teach me a new language. You can call me a different name. But I am not worshiping the gods of Babylon. I'm drawing a line in the sand. And it's not necessarily either completely kosher. Because when you get to chapter 10, Daniel even says that he feasts while he's in Babylon from eating what? Babylonian meat and wine. So we have to say that it has to be not that. Because he didn't keep this diet the whole time he was in Babylon. And he was there the entire 70 years. I believe it has to do with the king's court and the worship of their gods. You will not disciple me there. This is what we said last week. Part of living as an exile is to understand that Babylon wants you to become Babylonian. You're not Babylonian. And we can make application to our life and world as Christians. We were born in this world, but once you, be ha- once you became born again of the Spirit of God, you are no longer of this world. You belong to God. You are a child of God. You worship the God, heaven. And He has a certain way for us to live. We are called by His name. We've been purchased with His blood. We have to keep His commandments. We do not follow the ways of the world. And in a sense, Christians are exiles as well. Far from home. This world is not our home. And when I say world, I'm not speaking of physical location. I'm speaking of the ways and the systems of this world. Because in the end, God makes a new heaven and a new earth. He restores what was broken and fixes it back to the way it was supposed to be. So in a way, God's going to recreate this world to be what it is. In a way, this world is our home. But not the systems and the evil of this world. So Daniel has to make a decision to not partake. So what does he do? He asks Ashpenaz, the chief of the eunuchs, hey, I don't want to defile myself. And we don't know the tone of Daniel's request. And actually even making such a request Is grounds for him to be killed, grounds for him to be insubordinate. But as far as we know, Daniel respectfully requests permission to not do that. Daniel doesn't go on a hungry strike, a hunger strike. He has a proposition for the king's right hand man in charge of them. And this is what it is look at verse 9. Well, before we get there, how is this guy going to respond to Daniel? And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And that is a key to understanding this passage. God gave. We see that phrase repeated several times. God gave. Before we go there, let me just make one other comment on this previous verse. See, Daniel has all these beliefs. He knows how he's to worship his God. He knows what his God forbids, what what his God wants. He's been taught this from birth. But there came a time where he was faced with a decision. Will you obey God or will you disobey God? You see, you could believe it all. You could hear it all. You could absorb it all. You could put it up here and keep it away. But you only really believe what you believe if you do it. If you don't obey the things that you do, if you don't take action on what you believe, do you really believe it? I mean, do you act different when no one's looking? Do you act differently when you think you can't get caught? See, because that's when the real you comes out. The real you isn't in front of a lot of other people, so you could show, well, I'm going to make a show of this. Show these people my holiness and spirituality. No, the real you comes out when the decision is faced, when you're far from home. And that, doesn't, that decision doesn't just happen on the spot. There's 900 miles in between Judah. And Babylon. I'm sure these things that Daniel is thinking all the way on the journey. What's going to happen when we get there? What am I going to do? What are they going to make us do? There's no temple there. There's not going to be a temple at home pretty soon either. How do we worship God when no one's watching, when no one's looking? Will I make the right decisions when temptation comes? And the answer is simply this. If you don't have a plan, you will fail. You name it. That is true. If you just wait until you're faced in a situation to, let me just see how I'm going to respond when the temptation comes. Then I'll make a decision on what I'm going to. You will fail. If you put yourself in a position to get too close to the fire, you will get burned. I tell my kids this all the time. Don't get too close to the fire and you won't get burned. Don't play with sin. Make a decision now to keep yourself far from sin, to run from sin when it appears. It begins with a choice. It begins with this resolvement that you, that you base that on God's Word, that you base that on your love for God and your obedience to God, not when it's too late. And so even making this decision... And asking this request of this man is enough to kill Daniel. Who is Daniel to this guy? He's just a good-looking kid who is smart and he, he, he was uh, approved for the program. But the Lord gave. Look at verse 9. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the unions. For this guy liked Daniel. Why? God. God gave favor. It wasn't because Daniel and his charm and he won him over. It was God, which again reminds us passage after passage. Everywhere you go in the scripture, what do we always see? The sovereignty of God. Here is Daniel in Babylon He makes this request that could get him killed. And the Lord changes Ashpenaz's heart to have favor towards him and not kill him. That's amazing. Who's in charge of this story? God is. Who brought Daniel to Babylon? God did. Through Nebuchadnezzar's hand. It's God who gave Daniel favor in sight of this man. This reminds me a lot of the story of Joseph. Again, the similarities between Joseph and Daniel are astounding. Everywhere Joseph goes, he has favor, except with his brothers. (laughs) He goes to Potiphar's house. He has favor with Potiphar. He goes to prison. He has favor with the prison keeper. He interprets the dreams. He has favor with Pharaoh. And through God's favor, Joseph keeps climbing up. But just like Daniel, Joseph also had to make a resolvement in his heart to not sin against God. You remember what happened when he's with Potiphar's wife? Here he's working for a man named Potiphar in Genesis 39 verse 7. And let's look at that. Genesis 39 7. After a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of my master has no concern has no concern about anything in the house, and he's put me over everything in my charge. He's not greater than I, nor has he kept anything back for me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? As I spoke and as she spoke to Joseph day after day, He would not listen to her, to lie beside her, to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me, but he left the garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Just like Daniel had favor, just like Daniel had to make a decision to be resolved not to do wrong, before it came, so did Joseph. A lot of the battle is in the mind. Your heart is always going to be prone to love your sin. But through the Spirit of God empowering you to walk in step with Him, you can overcome the desires of the flesh. But it must come from a determination, a decision, that you will not sin against God like Daniel did and here like Joseph. What does he say? How can I do this great wickedness, verse 9, and sin against God? And every day she came up to him. Every day she tried to sleep with him. And every day Joseph said no. Why? He made a decision to obey God. A lot of the times we have failed in our lives is because we have failed just to do that. We've allowed ourselves to get too close. We have not made proper decisions and a proper plan. We have not had an escape plan. We've let ourselves be entertained by our sin and in our desires and we have fallen short. So what does this guy say to Daniel? Back to Daniel 1. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who were of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. This guy is afraid of Daniel's plan. He's in charge of how these boys come out. At the end of three years, it's going to be on his head to determine how these boys turn out. He's going to have to present them to Nebuchadnezzar and say, I watched over them. I gave them the diet, I gave them the study plan. It's on them. How can I let you do this? It's going to look bad on me. But he respects Daniel, so he hears him. But he also is fearful of his own life, because Nebuchadnezzar will kill him if something goes wrong. But then Daniel comes up with a plan. He comes up with a plan in verse 11, and he says this, Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he comes up with a plan. He says, listen, give us ten days. Give us a probationary period where we don't eat the king's meat or drink his wine and instead give us vegetables. What's wrong with Daniel, by the way? (laughs) Vegetables and water. Water. I mean, I drink water when it goes through coffee grounds, but water and vegetables. And then he says... Just let us do that for 10 days. 10 days is not going to make or break you. We still got three years. Give us 10 days to prove to you that this is going to be okay. And then you can make a determination. You could judge us then of what happens. Look at verse 14. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. Again, This guy has no reason to listen to Daniel. None. Why does he listen to him? God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of Ashpenaz. It's God. Just like Proverbs 21, 1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will." I've seen people preach this passage. I've heard lessons on this passage. I've read books on this passage. And people create all kinds of systems of how to win people, win people and win friends and influence people. There you go. I was like, see, I I didn't didn't read that book. Win friends and influence people. And they're saying, this is what you got to do what Daniel did. See, he's respectful. He's kind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is not how charming Daniel is. The point of the story is Daniel's God who is sovereign to change the heart of Ashpenaz to show him favor and compassion and so Daniel will be respected in the country by obeying his God. Just give us 10 days. All the other brainwashies compare us to them 10 days later and see who is better. I mean this is a bold request of Daniel. While well, the other brainwashies are eating sirloin steak and lobster or horse and lobster, or... Daniel is saying, I know who my God is. Let them eat what they're going to eat. It's given to the God of Kuh. I am not partaking in that. I'm not. You could teach me all you want to teach me. I'll learn a new language. I'll dress a certain way. I'll, you know, I'll get with whatever. Call me what you're going to... I'm not eating food that's worshiping those gods. So what happens? Look at verse 15. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them Vegetables. At the end of 10 days, they were better in appearance and fatter. Now, that's not really a compliment today. And the Hebrew word is literally fatter. That's what the word is. It's, it's, ESV translates it right, fatter. Because fatness is seen as healthiness. I am a very healthy person, right? <laughs> so there you go, all right? Um, can I also say something here? You know, there's this thing called the Daniel diet. I'm sure you've heard of it. That's not the point of the story. That's not the point of the story. Daniel, this is not written so that we can eat vegetables and water and God has given us a supernatural diet to follow. And I'm sure if you eat, do that. I mean, whatever, be a vegetarian or vegan or whatever, fine but that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is vegetables make you fat. I mean, what, the Daniel diet? I mean, they don't put that in their advertising. Eat, do the Daniel diet and you'll be fat. There's... That's what makes it so different. In 10 days, these guys gained weight and were healthier than they were before. Why? Because God. Because God is blessing their resolvement to obey Him, and God is preparing them for a life in exile. That's why. The sovereignty of God to make you fat and eat vegetables. Some of you say I could I know I breathe and I gain ten pounds. Well, you can't blame God's sovereignty there, okay? Some of it is it's just we have very poor decisions. But the Daniel diet is not the point of this passage. God has not prescribed some supernatural diet here, some secret sauce. What happened here is a miracle. Vegetables and water, and they were fatter. Wow. After 10 days, what's going to happen after three years? And of course, fat in the term of health, of course, is the context there. In verse 17, so Ashpenaz says, okay, fine. You made your point. I'll take away the menu. We'll keep giving you vegetables and water. And they did this for the four boys. Verse 17. As these, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions, and dreams. Again, why do they have this? Is it because Daniel was smarter? This is a smart guy, that's why he's there. Good looking, smart guy, good presence about him. Is that the reason why after three years they have all this learning and skill and literature? I mean Chaldean history? Got it. Chaldean literature? Nailed it. Straight A's they're getting. Daniel and Daniel has understanding in all visions and dreams. I mean you can't teach that in school. What's the point here? Again we see this phrase. What? Who gave it to them? God gave them learning and skill. The same God who gave Daniel and his friends compassion and favor in the sight and in, in his sight is the same God who is giving them these blessings, learning and skills, wisdom, and dream interpretation—God gave them. It's not the result of having a better diet. It's not. It's a result of a sovereign God who is blessing them and their obedience, and He's setting them up to show His glory in Babylon. That's what this is about. And interpreting dream. Now, interpreting dreams—where did that come from? God is about to use Daniel in ways he can't even imagine. It's just like God to use things to invade the culture so that they will see him. One of the things that the Babylonians valued greatly was that their gods, lowercase g, spoke to them via dreams and visions. Their God spoke to them in dreams and visions. And what does, I laugh when I think about this. What does God do? One of the blessings that he gives Daniel? Interpreting what? Dreams and visions. Exactly what's going to elevate him in Babylonian culture to make the greatest impact. And if you know the rest of the story, you know how important that is. And for God to make himself known and his word known through what? Dreams and visions. Again, a sovereign God is going to do what he wants in Babylon through his people. This reminds me of Jonah. Remember, you know the story of Jonah. Goes to Nineveh. Well, before he he runs the other way from Nineveh. God says, go to Nineveh. Swallowed by a big fish. Three days, three nights, the big fish Vomits him out onto dry land. And he finally says, fine, I'll go preach to the Ninevites. When he gets to the Ninevites, one of the gods that the Ninevites worshipped was a fish god. You can't make this up. God says, you're going there. And by the way, big fish. So then Daniel gets there in dry ground. A big fish just swallowed me. Who? And that gets the attention of the Ninevites to hear the message from God. This is what God's doing here in Babylon. Oh, their God speaks to them in dreams and visions? Guess what, Daniel? I'm going to speak to them, and you're going to tell them what I'm saying. That's going to get their attention. Again, what do we see here? Sovereign God. Sovereign God. It's amazing. I think God knows what he's doing. He's doing. (laughs) Yes, you better believe it. So at the end of that time, verse 18, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. None. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. They passed the tests with flying colors. Not just after ten days, but after three years. And there was none of the other brainwashies that went with the system and went with the program that was even comparable to Daniel and his three friends. Well, that's because they had a better diet. They had better brain food and vegetables. And the water cleansed them out. more. Are you crazy? No. It's God. God. God from beginning to end. It is God who makes Daniel succeed. It is God who delivers Daniel. It is God who is setting them up to be exiles in Babylon. It's the God who brought them to Babylon. And it's now the God who is establishing them in Babylon for his glory. Amazing. And not only did they survive that, but if you look at verse 21 of Daniel chapter 1, we get a fast forward. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So, who's King Cyrus? The king of Persia. Persia? What happened to Babylon? Well, Babylon was also judged by God. Babylon fell. Who judged Babylon? God. Through who? The Persians. By the end of Daniel's life, Babylon's no longer in charge. Persia is. And King Cyrus is the king of Persia who through God sends the Jews back to rebuild their temple and rebuild their walls. Why do we get fast forwarded here all of a sudden? Let me save that for the end of Daniel. I mean, why here? Chapter one, spoiler alert. It's because God wants us to know this. Kingdoms come and go. God's people must stay faithful. Faithful. God's people must obey and love their God. And God's people, and God's kingdom, will last everyone else. He outlasted Nebuchadnezzar. They outlasted the rest of Babylon. And by the way, that's 70 years later. Daniel lived the entire time in Babylon. Spoiler alert. He survived the lions then, in case you didn't know. He was there until the first year of King Cyrus. What do we do with this story? I mean, we could do what many people do and they elevate Daniel as the hero. And in many respects, Daniel is to be commended and applauded for his boldness and for his commitment to serve God. And even You may have even heard some phrases like, dare to be a Daniel. I'm not going to do that today. Because Daniel's not the point of the story. The hero of every biblical text is the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though Daniel had this resolve to obey God and to stay faithful in enemy territory, Daniel was not perfect. Daniel also failed. Daniel also was a sinner. Daniel also needed a Savior. But Daniel encourages us and reminds us that there is another one who is faithful to God, like Daniel was in this story, but even far better than Daniel. There's someone who not only resisted the temptation of sin one time, but his whole life. See, Daniel was great here, but Daniel also failed in many other respects. But the Lord Jesus is not like that I encourage you not to be a Daniel. I encourage you to be a Christian. Someone who follows the Lord Jesus Christ in his power, in his strength, in his humility and spirit. Jesus wasn't an exile like Daniel, but in a way, he lived in enemy territory like Daniel as an exile. He left his home in heaven, sent by his father to this world to obey a law The people, you and I, should have obeyed. And he came in and did what we cannot do. It is no mystery that the very first thing that we see in the public life of Jesus when he begins his ministry at 30 years old, the first thing that happens to Jesus is that he is tempted in the wilderness. As God brought Daniel to Babylon to tempt him to... Are you going to eat the king's meat and drink his wine? It's offered to his gods? The first thing we see in Matthew chapter 4 and, and the other Gospels, when Jesus, is, after he's baptized by John, the Spirit leads him to the wilderness to be tempted of the, of the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. And you know the story. The devil leads him up into the wilderness and after... After he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, Matthew tells us he was hungry. And the temptation comes, because see, Jesus was there to fast and to spend time with God for 40 days, not eat for 40 days. There's nothing wrong with eating bread and water, but Jesus had gone there to spend time with God. And the devil comes and he says, man, uh, turn these stones into bread. Jesus could have, but he didn't. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The devil takes him to the top of the temple and he says, oh, if you're a God, throw yourself down and he'll protect you. Jesus says, Jesus says, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of this world and their glory, and he said to him, All these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus says, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Three times Satan came, recorded here in Matthew 4. Three times the Lord Jesus resisted the temptation, quoted God's word, and was the obedient son of God. Not just three times, not just one day, his entire life giving us a model to resist temptation, giving us a model to trust God and obey Him. And as Daniel resolved in his heart to obey God, His Father, so did the Lord Jesus. He came, and this is what he says in John chapter 6, verse 38, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. This is why Paul says of him in Philippians 2, 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The Lord Jesus was tempted to sin in every way that we are tempted, yet he succeeds and never sins one time. He is not only the greater Daniel, but he is the better Adam. For an Adam, one of the first tests he has, him and Eve, God says, don't eat this fruit. What do they do? You know the story. They eat the fruit, and he fails miserably. And because Adam sinned, you and I are dead in our sins, and we all die and have to go to funerals and hire lawyers for stupid stuff. This is the result of the sin and the disobedience of Adam. But Jesus comes, unlike Adam. To fulfill and complete what the first Adam could not. Complete and perfect obedience. So I don't dare you to be a Daniel today. I dare you to be a Christian. I dare you to follow in the steps of your Lord. To look to him, the author and finisher of your faith. That although you and I can be, are tempted to do wrong and tempted to sin. In his power and his strength, by his spirit, we can obey God as well. Not because we are righteous, but because he is. And I implore you that if you are not a Christian today, that you repent of your sins, that you believe in him, that he died on the cross for your sins and rose again on the third day and trust him fully, not your works, not your uh, gifts or talents or money or status in life, but trust Christ fully and completely. For as Daniel outlasted Nebuchadnezzar and all the other kings and all the other Babylonian officials that came along the way. The Lord Jesus outlasts them all as well. For he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords and his kingdom shall never end. And this is the point of the book of Daniel. Living as an exile and having faith in the kingdom that never ends. Let's pray. Father, help us. What a glorious text to preach from the life of Daniel. Lord, you brought him to Babylon. You worked all the events and details in his life to establish him in Babylon and to show your glory to Nebuchadnezzar and to the world. Lord, I pray that we might take the lessons that we see here of being resolved in our heart to not sin, like Daniel, like Joseph, but more so like Christ, who is our great example, who is our substitute, our savior. He is our better Adam, better Daniel, better Joseph. He's our example to look forward to here. Not some supernatural diet or some charm or personality we can do to trick people, but God, that we trust your word, we trust your sovereignty, sovereignty we trust your holiness direct our lives according to your will and as daniel will tell many people in babylon about you by his life and by your word as he prophesies we pray that we would do the same here lord keep us faithful i pray for those who are struggling with sin and temptation even now and this week even this past week as many have failed many have fallen short They've let their guard down. They've not decided. They've not made a resolvement in their hearts. I pray, Lord, by your spirit that you would guard them, that you would establish them, that you would strengthen them to outlast whatever comes their way, but that they would make the decision now, like Daniel did, like Joseph did, like Jesus did, to be obedient even when these temptations come our way. We can't do it, Lord. We need you. Help us now. Help those without Christ. Enable them. Give them the gift of the Holy Spirit. Cause them to be born again so that they will willfully believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet sing a closing hymn together. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here today. If I could help you in any way, please see me after the service. Have a great week. We'll see you Wednesday night for our business meeting.